We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Tuesday morning. And I am joined by Britt Robson of MinPost, who on Monday afternoon uh, wrote a piece kind of recapping the season, but uh, focusing on the four people most responsible for making the 2021-22 Timberwolves season an enjoyable ride. Everyone who's been listening to this show or reading you, Britt, for the course of the season uh, has been able to tell that this has been an enjoyable ride for you, which I suppose makes sense considering you've covered this team forever and it usually is a bumpy ride. Um, but you, you highlighted, you highlighted four people um, in this piece and I'll just kind of leave it to you to where you want to start uh, digging into those four people. Well, I think you got to start with Chris Finch who um, has uh, you know, the more I thought about it, what was the key to the season? First of all, what was the thing that made the season going to be different than other seasons? And it was the fact that they came out of the gate playing really, really exciting defense. Not only a defense that was very relatively effective. I mean, it was sixth in the NBA after like six weeks, um, way better than expectations. Well, way better than we talked about. Remember, like, or that maybe that was more so me. I was like, I kind of believe in this, but I think it's going to take six weeks to right, 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 click into pace. Right, right, exactly. And so, not only that, but it brought on board the two max veterans that they needed to bring on board. If you had any one of those five guys not excited about playing this defense, it wasn't going to work, and. Cat has never been a great rim protector. D'Lo has never been a great on-ball defender. And those are the two things that, like, Finch prioritizes. You know, on-ball defense and rim protection are his deal. So he had to come up with something that got buy-in from guys who have traditionally been bad defenders anyway. He has to address that they're particularly weak in the areas that he is particularly fond of and he has to bring in other people and bring 
Anthony Edwards along in a manner that doesn't just turn the season into yet another rendition of the Wolves showing flashes of great offense, but just being beaten down by the fact that they can never get any stops. And it worked far better than I am sure even Finch imagined it would. Uh, they led the league in points off turnovers, I think for the entire season. I stopped charting it like in the final weeks, but pretty much wire to wire with Toronto as terms yeah. of who had the most points off turnovers. And Cat and Gilo began to regard themselves as part of a functioning, viable defense Cat bought into it more than D'Lo, but D'Lo did enjoy the ride as well. And Cat began to refer to it as Timberwolves basketball. That's when <laughs> I began to realize that this is really a great move by Finch. Uh, so to be able to come up with that and also to kind of trace the history of uh, David Vanterpool for all his ballyhooed. I like that part. Yeah. You know, thing was going to be the guy. I mean, I did a preview on him. I really enjoyed him as a coach. But the bottom line, and you were ahead of the curve on this compared to me, you certainly were skeptical about this whole solid of enough concept. Um, that didn't work. He, they brought in Joseph Blair. You know, Vanderpool understandably went, you know, to uh, New Jersey, uh, Brooklyn, uh, because – it wasn't going to work out for him. He'd been passed over here very notoriously. Uh, Joseph Blair was set to become the head coach of the Timberwolves Summer League team. And the hours before that happened, they announced that he was going to Washington. Yeah, you think, <laughs> holy, you know, this is a shit show. Well, I had, it turned out that my big interview with Chris Finch in Vegas happened that day, and he didn't seem to care at all. I mean, I didn't even <laughs> know it had happened. And then when I did that last piece I did for The Athletic, um, was about defense. And I asked him, you know, did that thing with uh, Blair, you know, rock you at all? And, you know, how Finch is, I mean, he, he didn't want to totally throw Blair under the bus, but he did say, you know, he's got great potential as a coach, but, you know, we, w he was always going to go someplace that was a little more switch heavy than we wanted to be. And, right. And it was always going to be me and the coaching staff. He said, he all, but, said flat out, look, I was going to run the defense from the beginning. No one was going to run the defense except for me. So it didn't really matter who the quote-unquote defensive right. coordinator was. And then I didn't even mention this in the column that came out yesterday, but have in other times where Elston Turner, basically the guy who was belatedly named defensive coordinator, said, Finch says he wants this. My job is to give right. it to him. You know, So no questions asked. Finch is the architect of a defense to totally turn their identity around. And then the second thing that I thought was really influential that Finch did something about it rather than coach X, Y, or Z was he got buy-in pretty much up and down the roster and fostered a, a, a feeling of camaraderie that everybody connected with the team, both on the coaching staff and among the roster said was unique to their experience. Right. Uh, so I think when you can basically turn a weakness into a temporary defining identity strength and then also have it hold out to be mediocre, which was the goal at the beginning yeah. of the year, the upside goal, and to foster a camaraderie that uh, enables you to have the resilience that you need through a long NBA season. Because if you recall, it was that grueling January schedule and then that 
post-All-Star surge. Both of those were fueled by the bench. So those were the two credentials I thought should be attributed directly to Finch's influence. And uh, so that's why of all the people, the four people I mentioned, uh, he would be like some commenter at, at MinPost said, you know, the gold, bronze, and silver yeah. medals. He would get, he would be the top of the podium for that. Yeah, it was, it was rereading it myself um, or rethinking kind of about the whole process of, of finding this defense, which is obviously everyone who's listening to this knows it's something we've covered exhaustively right. over the season, but there were these little like breadcrumbs way back then. That's just, I mean, that's almost a year ago that, or August maybe is when, when summer league was. Um, but it was a good, like for me, as I was thinking about it, I was so, as you said, so did not believe that solid was enough. I uh, did not believe that was, you know, the proper scheme. And so reactively, I guess, um, I really we got the chance to interview Joseph Blair a couple times um, in the in the lead up to summer league, and I was like rubbing my hands together. I'm like, oh yeah, he he like outright in his first his first uh, press availability was like, you can't run drop if you don't have a have a huge center. And I'm like, preaching to the <laughs> choir, baby. Right, right. But but I was I was reactive because because what Blair wanted to do was reactive. It was so on the opposite side of the spectrum of what Vanderpool wanted to do, and and you know, you know, quite frankly, if I'm being honest, I didn't hadn't really studied the in between area of it, and obviously Chris Finch and and Mike Nori had, and they had experience doing that in Denver, where this, this way of bringing the big up to the level when it is a center and and playing this sort of scrambling type high wall low man concept that they that they had is it was such a fascinating thing just for me to follow over the course of the year and and learn about the, these different kind of ways you can play. I mean, I knew about that in Denver, but hadn't really. I'd always attributed so much of that to Paul Millsap, uh-huh. like that the, the the low man part was so important to it. And it had to be a specific type of person or player. And and that proved not to be true. It, it right. isn't all about. You know, Paul Millsap, it isn't there isn't one low man. The low man can be anyone. And quite frankly, everyone has to execute it. Whoever is it right. in that and position. It, it, so. It's about the aggression and the chaos that, that aggression creates, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was that part, I think, was intuitive to us because we're like, OK, you got a young roster who can fly, you know, put put that in place. But over time, you know, structure did click in. And and I think. What was what was really big was was finding that starting lineup. Pat Bev started, became the permanent starter seven games into the season, and then Jared Vanderbilt followed him eleven games into the season, and that was you know that was right after that kind of six game losing streak, I believe, right at, right at the right. beginning of the year. And you were like, okay, boom, we had the outline of the identity. Here it is. We got the five pieces in place. We're going to kind of toy with what the the bench is around there, but this is it, and this is Timberwolves basketball. And, you know, w- w- without going a million miles deep into it again, it is, it's what makes Finch deserve the gold medal here because people like you and I, people, fans who have been watching this team intently since the Carl Anthony Towns era know that defense was the thing to, to focus on with this team. He, they had been a bottom 10 defense every year of Cat's first six years of his career. 
So it had always been something that I had been kind of fascinated by, didn't know what the solution was. My solution was just do something different. Um, <laughs> but but they not only did something different, they they did something that really empowered this roster specifically. And it gives me confidence that um, Finch can kind of figure that out in time as the roster evolves. I don't think there will ever be another season again where they throw the high wall fastball 90% of the time. Right. There will be there and there will need to be diversity in, in in their coverages and stuff. But finding that fastball was was huge by Finch and that he found that he started putting that in day one of training camp was just really incredible foresight on on his part. Yeah, I agree totally. And so then the, the second thing is obviously the, the silver medal, if you will, I think was Pat Bev because of the culture. Um, the camaraderie, I think, would have happened anyway, but I think it's important. The Wolves have had decent camaraderie on other teams, and they've been soft is the, you know, the classic word. It's an all-encompassing word that is sometimes too vague. Um, the way I always figured the Wolves were soft was that they had they took on this like Minnesotan idea that, you know, there's justice in the world, you know. I mean, you know, <laughs> if we if we do things a certain way and act the right way, and you know, uh, practice and be diligent and everything, everything will be fine. Well, no, some guys are out there, you know, basically going to try to cut your nuts off as you're going about your paces, you know. And you need a guy who sees the knife coming and brandishes one of his own, you know. And that's where Pat Bev comes in. Is like. He's a guy that uh, he demands respect. And if he doesn't get respect, he will make enough of a scene where you have to pay attention to him and then figure out whether or not he's worthy of respect or total mocking right. ridicule. And that's, that's the cusp upon which he lives. You either respect me or you make fun of me and we'll decide who laughs when at what time, you know? <laughs> and that type of attitude on a team full of nice guys who believe that if someone says nice try, it's a compliment rather than like a little bit of a dig, you know? Right. Um, you need that kind of guy dropped in the middle. It's like that drop of ink in in a uh you know in, in clear water you see it spread and all of a sudden something changes color here and that is the cultural catalyst that he provided for the season and it came right up through into i really do think his absolute overwhelming need to beat the clippers in the play-in game was enough of a factor to uh be one of the two or three things that mattered in the outcome of that game. And that game was huge because it gave them a chance to play Memphis rather than Phoenix. And yep. so, uh, so if you know, you can go throughout the whole season on, on Pat Bev, you can see where his on ball defense was such a perfect compliment to Delos more cerebral off ball style. You could see how guys from Nas Reed up to Anthony Edwards, said he, he made them accountable and he was the guy and everybody leaned on him and looked to him. He was a guy that uh, 
was a locker room leader that wasn't going to threaten Cat. In fact, had Cat's back and wasn't going to. Uh, uh, he was he was not Jimmy Butler in the in the sense that he was a hard ass, but he was a supportive hard ass. He's the kind of guy who is loyal to who he's with, and uh, Butler's loyalties always had to be earned in a manner that some people just can't earn them, you know? Right. And so Butler, you know, messes with them instead. Uh, Pat Bev says, if you're on my team or I'm on your team, we're teammates and we're riding together. And that was huge. Uh, the fact that Cat played in a defense that got, enabled him to do what he likes to do, which is guard in space and also was successful. And the fact that, Pat Bev was a guy who um, would take on the bullies of the NBA on Cat's behalf to the point where Cat began to mimic some of that behavior toward the end. Um, <laughs> just indicates the influence that this guy has had. And so I would say that he was the second most influential player or second most influential person, Pitch being the most influential in terms of this team being as successful as it was. I like the line you had that said Pat Bev is in the twilight of his hard scrabble career in which he has had to earn every minute of playing time and now jealously guards every inch of his perceived value and status on a team. The force of his personality has a high displacement factor that for good or ill will create sizable ripples throughout the roster on and off the court. And that reminded me of the risk that this was. And, and Gerson Rosas who traded for, for right. Patrick Beverly um, that that move wasn't a risk in giving up Juancho Hernan Gomez and Jarrett Culver, but it was it was a risk in who Patrick Beverly was and how that was how that ink was going to spread, right? Right, right. And and as I was thinking about that, pausing and thinking about that line, I was like, yeah, Rosas was the type of GM who was going to take those risks. What he needed was a coach who could mitigate the risk factor there right. and kind of, you know, tamp that down or, and unleash it when and where it was needed. And, and that's why I think Finch ties to this one so well too. You know, if that's a, if that's a different coach and you bring in Patrick Beverly, I don't think it works as well. And that, I mean, that goes back to their history. And I think that just goes back to kind of the way Finch is and, right. and, and carries himself and Finch knew about all that stuff. Right. Because as true as the Twilight part of his career stuff was, like Pat was that guy back 10 years ago when Finch right. was coaching him in in Houston. So he knew what he was getting. And I think he knew how to properly enable that and also properly insulate it from, from others as well. I think there are two ways to bite and claw for what you need at different points of your career i think when pat bev joined the team he had spent a year actually in ukraine believe it or not uh in in one yeah. season and the other one was in greece i mean so he went to school for i think it was four years in arkansas couldn't catch on in the nba went overseas like i said ukraine and greece in some order i think that is the order it was in but lands on the rockets his first year 
Chris Finch, meanwhile, is a second-year assistant coach. I know. The the irony is thick. And, you know, having gone, you know, to England and all these other various points in between and, you know, done the WNBA thing. I don't know if that was before or after. I think it was before that with Gerson down in Rio Grande, whatever. Um, but they saw each other as kindred spirits in terms of Finch being like a closet, hyper-competitive guy. You don't see that aspect of him, but it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. And Pat Bev, knowing, I mean, the thing about it, when I had a really instructive uh, podcast with Chris Harrington on his podcast, I know he's subsequently been on yours. I think you guys are really two minds to think alike. But he told me that, uh, you know, that Pat Bev, the idea, because, you know, the idea of Hernan Gomez and Culver, are you kidding me? And he said, look, the Grizzlies were never thinking that Pat Bev was going to be on this team. You know, it just so happened to be part of the deals that happened. Uh, And if Culver or Herman Gomez worked out so much the better. But he said that, you know, uh, and this is through his sourcing, not necessarily his opinion, uh, although it it probably was as well, um, that Dylan Brooks was the guy in the locker room and a very fiery personality. And you don't have to see Dylan Brooks play and Pat Bev play very long to know that only one of those guys is really going to be the guy who gets most of the attention and the other guy is going to be a bloody mess in the corner somewhere. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was not going to be something where those two personalities could coexist. Mm. That that went in there, according to uh, Harrington sourcing as demanding the start, you know, I heard that too gets back to that, you know, keeping every scrap of his respect so he comes in scrapping to be known as a rocket as making a dent on the nba uh ledger enough to get to the bottom of a rotation and earn some playing time and then a decade later he's there scrapping to become Hmm. you know worthy of keeping they're like, I want to be a starter. I want to be a, a guy who stirs the drink on a team. And how many teams could really, at the beginning of this past season, afford to say to Pat Bev, yeah, we could, you'll be the, you know, you'll be the straw that stirs the drink and we have a starting position for you. I mean, right. the, that is rare. So it was a perfect fit. It was a, a fit of a guy who needed a certain role and it had to be a prominent role that displaced a lot of things within the team's normal order. And it also had to be a team that was needing exactly that. And, and, and it turned out really, really well. It, it was really interesting as I was just looking into, you know, Chris Finch's playoff history, um, you know, in advance of the playoffs, I was like, you know, yeah. how many games has he coached? And it was, the first time since he was hired that I'd really kind of dug back into the past. And man, that, that second year in Houston is nuts in, in the comparison to that. They went 45 and 37 that year. Finch's second year with the team, right? Obviously as assistant, not the head coach. It was also Mikhail. It was, it was Pat Bev's first year there exactly 10 years ago, I believe. Um, And, and they, and as, as I had to ask Finch about it and he was like, yeah, that was, that was setting the foundation of what we were going to become in Houston and I, and that's what we're doing here as well. And it's, 
I mean, this is Houston North. This is. And it's just, and it was, it already was even before Fitch because they, there was as much as Gerson said it wasn't, it was the the stylistically the way they were playing. And now this with Finch taking the reins, Pat Bev instilling a similar culture, like it's different because there's different personnel on the roster in ways, but it's, you know, it's Ant and Cat. It was Dwight and James. Like there's, and then it evolved into something else over time. And I don't, I mean, it's not going to completely mirror it, but that is the, that is the hope. uh, If you're a Timberwolves fan is that art continues and that they don't fumble things from a front office perspective in the way that Houston eventually kind of got desperate and did, you know, cycling right. from from Harden to Chris Paul and then extremely desperately to Russell, to Russell West. But but, they, you know, that was I don't know. It's yeah, this is this is Houston North developing its own sort of. Modern day version of that. Well, what is really fascinating is you have Daryl Morey on the one hand, and then you've got Sam Hickey, if you want to go back to the process, you know, some yep. of Sasha and Gupta's roots. Uh, in terms of what does Sasha and Gupta take from the various mentors he's had? And he's played his hands really close to the vest right now in terms of what he plans on doing. Um, but I have a feeling that he'll be more hinky than Moray in terms of uh, not wanting to like really make huge splashes. This is all yeah. providing that he gets to be able to do this stuff. But um, I do think that uh, you have a situation where uh, the pieces are in place. What I find, and we're going to get into this on the, the third you know, factor, the the last two guys that I think made this season what it was, is it, I do think that Kat and Ant don't have to worry about timelines. I can really see Kat being, using his uh, big man, old guy skills. I mean, they're not, he's not an athlete. He's a finesse guy. He can keep what he does relatively intact for at least five more years, I think. He's like yeah. 20, 26 now, he'll be 31, 32. He'll be fine. Um, you can you can rely on those two guys. And if you're giving Cat, you know, the the max that he's probably going to be worth of uh, at the end of the year, then you are pretty much making this commitment. Um, so that's in place. Gupta seems like the kind of guy, I think, and, you know, obviously his track record is not voluminous yet, but somebody who could probably do a good job of filling the subsidiary roles that you need, right. you know, and, you know, we're going to talk about the playoffs too in a minute. Um, I've been astonished at how fascinating it's been that these veteran role players, I mean, just in the Milwaukee uh, self series alone, Al Horford and Wesley <laughs> Matthews have both been just like revelations. Yeah. They, and, you know, aside from Grant Williams, who's another guy out of the blue, like the three best defenders in this series, in a series where you have Giannis and reigning defensive <laughs> player of the year, Marcus. Drew Smart, Holiday. Are, are, yeah. are, and Drew Holiday is Wesley Matthews, Grant Williams, and Al Horford. You know, I mean, it's what a weird, you know. 
So, which gets back to the idea that you need the right role players on the right, you know, spectrum. You know, Al Horford was not that guy who could translate those skills somewhere else in Oklahoma City or elsewhere. But you put him back on the Celtics and you put him around those wings that are really active. And you know that he's either an undersized center or sometimes a adjunct power forward who switches interior assignments, you know, with with uh, Time Lord, uh, Robert Williams. So, um, you know, that's that's finding the right guy. You you know, you what you had to give up is Kemba Walker and the number one. You looked at that and you went, what is this guy thinking, you know? Uh, and it turned out to be the right move. You know, Brad mm-hmm. Stevens kicked upstairs. So if Sasha and Gupa can pull off that type of a, a situation, you know, where he gets a Wesley Matthews or he gets an Al Horford or he gets something like that and he supplements Ant and Cat in the right ways, then... As know, Houston or, did, Britt, with, I mean, yeah. Luke Bamute, right, Ryan right, right. Anderson, That's PJ right. Tucker. I mean, Anderson was expensive, but Bamute, I think, was the biannual exception. Right. Uh, PJ Tucker was the mid-level, the full mid-level exception. I mean, Trevor it's those Reza, type of things. Trevor right? Reza, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that most I mean, all these guys. And then and on the other side of the coin, guys like, uh, you know, Gerald Green and uh, Daryl <laughs> yeah. House, you know, or whatever his name is. What's his first Dan- name? What? Daniel, but spelled Daniel. with a U. <laughs> yeah. You know where that came from? Probably was a Daryl Oates had a, a song, I mean, a, a television <laughs> show called Daryl's House, I think. Uh, the guy from Hall and Oates. There's always <laughs> usually a music crossover on my basketball name butchering. Uh, let's uh, let's take a quick break here, and then let's talk about Cat, cat and Ant, your, um, right. your last two pieces. Today's show is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions. As I've mentioned before, 20 by 20 Solutions is a Minneapolis-based consultancy that works with growing organizations to create and sustain success. Whether it's technology, workflow, platform architecture, or more, they'll help you build a strategy that fits your goal and execute a plan that fits your resources. This basketball season, 20 by 20 has partnered with Begin Anew, a Minnesota-based nonprofit focused on helping people in their journeys to recover from addiction providing support and conversation to people throughout the process of recovery. 20 by 20 is sponsoring a donation campaign through the Scoreside platform where you can tie your giving automatically to every rebound the Timberwolves grab this season. Go to 20by20solutions.com slash begin. That's 20x20solutions.com slash begin to install the Scoreside app and look for the Rebounds for Recovery campaign and join the campaign. Support your team and your community with every board for the rest of the season. 20x20solutions.com slash begin. 20 by 20 solutions, your sixth man on a winning team. Today's show is sponsored by Aura. You know of Aura because you've seen their name on the Timberwolves jerseys, and I'd like to tell you what Aura's digital security can do for you. Aura is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software, all combined into one easy-to-use app. People are shocked when their identity is stolen, but identity theft is actually extremely common. There's a new victim of identity theft every 14 seconds. Aura monitors the dark web for your emails, passwords, and social security numbers and sends alerts fast right to your phone and email. When it comes to fraud, every second matters. Connect your credit and bank accounts and get notified of any changes up to four times faster than Aura's competitors with Aura. I've already signed up for Aura and I'm already seeing how often my personal information is showing up on the dark web, and you will too if you sign up for a free 14-day trial with Aura. 
Protect yourself from America's fastest growing crime by trying 14 days for free at Aura.com slash Dane. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash D-A-N-E for 14 days free. And a thank you to Aura for sponsoring today's show. Aura, digital security you can trust. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of MinPost discussing his uh, column on the four people most responsible for just making this Wolves season uh, enjoyable and, and fun to cover and watch uh, all, all year long. We've, we've hit on Chris Finch, Pat Bev, and the last two you put in there combined, Britt, were Carl Anthony Towns and, and Anthony Edwards and how they, as you put it, um, you need two players who can deliver star caliber performances a majority of the time, right? And in their own ways, Cat and Ant took strides towards towards moving towards that this season at different cadences and different consistencies, but it'd be, it'd be hard to receive pushback on, on that comment, given what played out this season. And why it's important that you have two and why they are grouped as like the third thing. It's the four, you know, most influential people, whatever you want to call it. I don't rank cat Nant third or fourth because it's, exponential leverage. If you have one guy doing it, you know, it's pretty obvious that you have to stop him. I mean, that's the Luca quandary, you know, I mean, to some extent now that's being mitigated somewhat this, this playoffs by, you know, the elevation of uh, Brunson. Uh, but having cat and ant be able to do their thing at different times. And not only that, but having them be, uh, a purposeful unit together, a purposeful, hey, he's my teammate. I love this guy. Um, you know, I don't know if that will continue to hold as things go on. I mean, things are crazy. There's always, uh, stars always have people in their ears who sow as much discord as as positives. But I happen to think that Cat and Ant, as they are now existing in the world, are extremely nice, generous people who want the best for their teammates, even if it's a little bit at the expense of themselves. And so uh, I, I just saw this whole season and the way that they both matured, one in year seven and one in year two, um, in a manner that really leveraged that exponential value. Uh, was it perfect? No, because they both were starting from places that, you know, Ant wasn't rookie of the year and didn't make an all-star team this year. And Cat is no longer regarded as like one of the best two centers or whatever in the game. And, and like the guy who will naturally lead a championship contender. Mm. Um, but they did both make real strides and they made strides in maturity that added a little bit to their games but also gave you real hope that these games are not necessarily contingent upon anything other than the presence of another one like them to leverage that off. Like cat having ant nearby and ant having cat nearby, you could see how their existing maturation really inexorably ant will become the guy, I think, because of just the nature of big men and, crunch time and all this other stuff and also the fact that ant's ceiling let's face it is higher than cats uh you, you know what it reminds me of Britt, with the playoffs on the mind 
and and given Carl's Supermax extension coming up is is Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Mm. And and there's as as you said in the piece and I've talked about written about this year is like, yeah, that was kind of the elephant in the room is Ant, if all goes well, will in time pass cat. And and that can be totally okay, even from the cat perspective. But I think a huge part in ignoring the elephant or not even minding it is is getting paid and getting paid big time like chris paul is on a supermax himself and i think as more of a veteran you are more willing to let go of some of that my team this is my team i'm the dude sort of stuff because you're like the the check's the checks still cash the, the same. I'm, I'm the dude twice a month anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. For way more than Devin gets, you know? Right. And and that is again, if things progress, I, I would say in a in a the best manner and, and Kat is locked up on that deal. Uh Ant can, you know, Ant can do his own Devin Booker over time. It'll take time. And and Kat, I don't think will mind that as much because it's like I think everybody thinks Devin Booker is the, I don't know, is, is the best player on that team. If not, not but maybe not the most valuable uh, with, with Chris. And, and it's, it's an in tandem sort of thing, even though right. everyone thinks Booker's better. Uh, and, and there's, there's room for that to happen because in ways the like selfishness quotient of both Chris Paul and Kat is not very high. Right. We, right. <laughs> We, we, I mean, we pound all the table, pound the table all the time for Cat to be more selfish, and and I think what we're kind of learning, have learned over the seven years in his career, is that's not, that's not really the way he's wired. Similar to KG, you know, and that comes with, you know, that is going to come with people talking about it over time, just as it did with KG. But if you pay him that bag, it's, you know. He he's not gonna mind Ant leapfrogging him. He might reach his hand down and pull him up. I think he already is in the same. And not only that, but he will let he will remind everybody of what he is doing. You know, mm. <laughs> but I say by all means let him go on because one, it will be true, and two, it gives him to the extent that he needs to quote unquote save face. You know, losing the alpha position on the roster um it is the enabling winning thing to do and so if we have to wince a little bit with cat saying oh yeah you know i've been through it i've been the top guy and i've been the leading scorer and now it's my time to help Ant go through that you know and have it be like i'm the big brother here and that's an actually a natural dynamic. If you think of how a big brother acts when the little brother begins to usurp, you know, their privacy in the world, they can go one of two ways. They can hate the little brother's guts or they can say, hey, man, I'm, I'm a mentor to a great presence here, you know. And, and all, every indication is of the latter. Exactly. Far. That's the thing that gives us uh, faith about this team. It gives me faith anyway, is the idea that Cat is not going to say, wait a minute, you know, Anthony Edwards is getting too much credit here. You know, I'm going to have to do something. Uh, you know, he may have a couple of wincing post-game press conferences where he wants to point out 
hey, you know, Ant was great. And, you know, by the way, somebody else did something that was really great in there, too. You know, I can't remember who he is, but, you know, I, I think, it, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know. Yeah. How but, I mean, it's like. I do. <laughs> but, you know. I mean, let me look at this let, stat let's sheet. Give him that. Let's give him that. Yeah, I mean, let's give him that. You know? Jay Noel, 11 minutes, <laughs> four for five. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, it, I do think the idea of a future of Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns uh, being the primary generators of this team's upside. Um, it needs further development by both of them. Uh, but we saw that development take an important step this past season. Yeah. And I think the way that they developed and combined and collaborated under Finch and under Pat Bev uh, gives hope that it is a sustainable model. And now if you get the right role players or, you know, uh, as so often happens in the NBA, you think that you have your two guys who are going to run the show. And the next thing you know, either you hit it, some guy comes out of nowhere, uh, you know, bridges in Phoenix, you know, suddenly, Hey, right. you know, here he is, or, you know, whatever, pick a guy. Um, when you get that, you draft the right guy, you trade for the right guy, and they fit in perfectly, you know, that can happen too. But what you have in the bank is you have two guys that you can, you can start. It's not a rebuild anymore. It's a, it's a uh, expansion. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you've got your foundation and you've got like your living room and your kitchen. You know, now it's time to, you know, decorate the bedrooms and it's time to actually yeah. add on spaces that this house can accommodate more people and is consequently worth more money. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I want to bounce this off you. As you highlighted um, in the article, like cats, two point percentage on volume. Nobody was even close to it. Cats, three point percentage on volume. No one was even close to it. And, and that's important, I think, to remember right now as the most recent thing in everyone's memory is Ant having a better playoffs than Carl did. And, and I don't think that, I don't think what Carl did in the playoffs is what he will always do in the playoffs. But right. there, is, there is value, and people might not like to hear this, but there is value to having a regular season innings eater. Right. And... You need that just to, one to get through the season, but you need that to get through the season and get a high seed as like for the Wolves to ever go to the second round, to go to the conference finals, a prerequisite of that will be being a probably a top three seed in, in the league. That's just kind of how it works. And I don't think anytime soon you will be able to rely on Anthony Edwards to carry that water for 82 games. Right. Right. You know what I mean? And and so it's like it's this very rich man's version of like Stephen Adams, where right. he is so valuable to them during the season and in the playoffs with him, it's not valuable at all. Or, you know, he made a reappearance on, on Monday night. But with, with Coral, if he if he can be that plus to be the, the real driver innings eater during the regular season and then maybe just given kind of how his game is and how the playoffs evolve. If then in the playoffs, it's more in tandem or even him as number two, 
that that can work because the playoffs really are a different game than the regular season, but both are super important in ultimately achieving the goal of making a, a deep run in the playoffs. It's like maybe Paul Gasol and Kobe. Yeah, yeah. I like you that. know, I mean, uh, because we've now compared Cat and Ant to <laughs> Dwight and James, yeah. Kobe and Powell, Devin yeah. Booker, well, Chris I mean, Paul. because you're looking for the most obvious comparisons, you can probably yeah. get a more exact one that's very obscure. Uh, but I do try. think at the end of the day, you have Cat not only being the efficient scorer, but taking the brunt of the bullshit that this team had to endure because of its roster construction and because of the way they play. Cat uh, was, this is like the fourth most minutes he played in his six seasons. Okay. So there are th- at least three seasons or no, actually the fifth most of his seven seasons. That's what it was. Okay. There were four seasons where Cat played more minutes than he played this year, but he set career highs for like, the number of shots he had blocked, the number of offensive fouls he had, but also the number of fouls he drew, the number of and ones he made, the number of free throws he shot. Um, mm. This guy was the dirty work guy more than any time in his career by quite a margin. And Which is such an indication that of willingness to seed whatever to, to another young player or a player who plays a different position who could... Right. Maybe do more with that. And on the other side of the coin was incredibly important. He wasn't a great defender, but he was a valuable defender. He was their best option. Uh, you know, I mean, this the Wolves are a scrawny, unbrawny team. And Cat had to be the big guy doing the mucking. And he had to do it in two ways. He had to meet people at the leverage on the pick and roll, and he had to get back and get rebounds. And, and when it came time, when push came to shove, and a seven-foot guy was doing posting up, he had to be the guy that found a way to get in front of that guy. Because uh, it wasn't mm-hmm. going to be Nas Reed, and it wasn't going to be Jared Vanderbilt. If anybody wants to think about the way Nas and Jared Vanderbilt or pick your big, you know, Jade McDaniels, um, when a guy was like, Seven, six, eleven, two fifty, and they were, you know, posting up or they were doing some other stuff. The only guy that had a shot at even slowly deterring that was Cat. And only, no, he's not, totally, he's, he's not a great defender. But there is a reason why Chris Finch continually said this guy was incredibly important to the consistency of our defense this year. And you know what I will say is, I think Cat was a great defender in that playoff series. I, agree. I don't think I don't think Cat is like a great defender. Like he doesn't have that stamp on his resume. Right, right. But as that as what will age in, you know, the the memory of this is is Carl's foul trouble in that playoff series, not scoring enough, only shooting four shots in the one, you know, all those sort of things. But people might forget that Cat was great defensively in slowing down John Morant, and the scheme was very helpful in that. But given what Ja has now done in the second round series right. is like some evidence towards that. And what I will say, too, is something similar happened in the 2017-18 series against Houston. I just know from talking to people back then that they loved what Cat did in that in that Houston series defensively as well. Right. And it right. was the deep drop. They did the, the deep drop thing. And sometimes as that 
coverage does. It's going to lead to Clint Capella dunking on your head. Right. But but Cat really does have the the ability to to juice it up defensively in the playoffs, and and we now have two examples of that in his career, which is wildly important, in my opinion, as you start thinking about the next time they're going to be in the playoffs and you think about how you're going to build this roster. You don't you don't have to build a defense that hides Carl Anthony Towns. You need to build a defense that empowers him a little bit more, probably by providing some more force around him. Without a doubt. You, you need two things uh, at different sides of the ball. You need a guy who's a very capable uh, rim protector help guy uh, and you need a guy who provides spacing on offense. Uh, and there are guys, you know, like that. I mean, we always, the Miles Turner prototype, but there's a million minor Miles Turners out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is something. I agree with you about the defense. I also think while it, it was uh, self, it was suicidal on, on, on Jackson Jr.'s part, he, I mean, he had a terrible game uh, series in terms of making more stupid fouls than Cat, which is really hard to do. Uh, but he also uh, had trouble with Cat, you know. Yeah. Uh, when, when there's a reason why Taylor Jenkins did not want that matchup to happen very often, and went to great lengths to make sure mm-hmm. that that didn't. That was logical. You have a guy that. I think we'll land if I haven't. I can't remember the votes. I think he's on one of the three all defensive teams. If if he isn't, he will be soon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's only two of them. But his stats, he is a contender as one of the great defensive players in the league this year. Why not put him against the other team's best scorer and arguably best player in a series? Well, Taylor Jenkins thought this guy's foul prone. And if I put him on cat, he's not going to play any minutes. So, so it turned out he didn't play many minutes anyway. <laughs> but, it would have been less, though. And he played Stephen Adams right off the court. I mean, right mm-hmm. off the court. So we could talk about Cat's bad, you know, uh, this whole idea that he got eight points while his team lost two 25-point leads or whatever, you know, whatever. I'm probably conflating games there. But the bottom line still is um, – Games have their own personalities. And let's talk about, if you're going to talk about game three, then talk about game four, because they don't exist in a vacuum. You know, if Cat was a pussy or if Cat was a guy who shrank from the moment or whatever, you know, I heard this all when KG of all people, when they never made it past the first round, KG never was enough, you know, wasn't enough of a guy to make it to the second round. Right. Um, You know, all that bullshit. Cat came back in game four and took it to Memphis, got to the line more than a dozen yeah. times, had 14 rebounds, got more over more than 30. any game in his career or any, yeah. yeah, or, or I don't know if his career yeah, okay. season, yeah. it was yeah, yeah. more than any game during the regular, even more than the, the Spurs game when he had, when he had 60. Yeah. So things don't operate in a vacuum. Am I, going to bat for Carol Anthony Towns as a playoff warrior who is like, you know, check the box that he's great in the postseason. No, but it's he's closer to that than the current meme that cat shrinks. You know, yeah. they have they show a picture of him holding his injured ankle on the court and saying he's a crybaby. Yeah. You know, I mean, all this, you know, 
it's fine. You know, I mean, that's the way the internet operates sometimes, but it's from people who either are malicious assholes or don't know basketball or both, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, take well, that. Just didn't watch, book. didn't watch. I yeah. think that's, that's the, it's, it was such an exposure, I thought. And and not that Cat, there aren't things that Cat should have been held accountable for. I just think the things he was being held accountable for oftentimes in that series, you you didn't watch during the regular season if you're, oh, he's never, he's never done this, but he's a post up. I'm like, he's not rebounding. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> do you notice where he starts the possessions up 30 feet up the floor <laughs> against the fastest guy in the league? You know, it's pretty hard to do from there rebound you know like there yes so i mean it goes it goes both ways with cat there's there's a another level they will need him to reach and it will be you know when we talk about kind of like the honeymoon phase is over with this like if he doesn't reach that next level then the criticism i would say would necessarily be harsh on on him for 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 not for not achieving that but and perhaps harsh on the front office if they're just asking too much of him. Oh, and I, I'm already that right now. I yeah. like it. I just, I don't know how you, how you can't think that. That's right. Right. That, that if you paid attention, I think that's every Wolves fan who paid attention to them this season knows that they made the most out of this roster, but it was, it was a roster built to kind of expose some cat things that were, that weren't even actually exposures because yeah i just it was so silly i I knew this would happen the rebounding thing right and it's like oh for for all nba or for all-star he's he's down he's always been a 12 rebound a game guy now he's just under nine and i'm like look at where he's standing on the floor so it's it's also let's uh mix in a little bit of ant here yeah yeah by all means (laughs) he's Uh, number four (laughs) or number three you know three a three b because I do think they are a tandem, and I do think that and um, the 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 thing about Ant that will follow him throughout his career and is not atypical of his prototype. He's a boomer bust guy, and mm-hmm. uh, and those home run swings or surges, whatever you want to call them, superhero turns. Uh, where he turns a game around um, is they are invaluable and uh, you have to suffer through, you know, some of the uh, zoning out on defense. Sometimes you have to uh, quibble with the shot selection. Sometimes uh, the turnovers, sometimes Um, he's 20 years old. They're all going to get better, Uh, but he will never be, uh, a 600 true shooting percentage guy. He will always be, even when he's playing well, like a 57%, 58% true shooting percentage guy because he takes tough shots. He takes shots that um, most people shouldn't take because they don't have the ability to make them. But when he does make them, as he did in that game one against Memphis and just, you know, took Unguardable. Them, just ripped the heart out of Memphis in that first game in terms of their defense. I mean, when a guy is doing that to you, uh, you know, you, you can't play him better. You're just having to watch this happen. Uh, getting that on a more consistent basis 
he took a step in that direction this year where he became a viable, you have to guard him at 25 feet or he will burn you guy, mm -hmm. but also a guy who knows Euro steps, knows force and can leap like a son of a bitch. So, <laughs> you know, you put all that together and he will kill you at the rim or he will kill you behind the arc. And I think the final step is, you know, in terms of being a three-level scorer, and we never thought this would be his quote-unquote weakness, at the very least, the least of the three levels, is he's got to learn to draw more fouls. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got to be a guy who's averaging six to eight, you know, free throws a game rather than two to four, you know. And and I think we think there will, that more of that craft will come, more of that respect of the whistle will come. But part of that's on Ant, too. Yeah, he, exactly. He needs to, you know, he needs to kind of build up that mental durability that a running back has, right? To like, yep. I'm getting 20 carries, you know, it's going to hurt, you know? Right. And, and, and some of them are going to be three yard gains on third and two, you know, that's the, that's they need what more you of that. want, you know, when you want the tough yards or drawing the tough foul by going into people, forcing the ref to make a call. And mm -hmm. if you're Anthony Edwards and you have, a linebacker's body and you're going up against somebody, right. you're going to be able to create the contact. If you don't get the whistle, at the very least, everybody's on notice that the refs are not giving Anthony Edwards a good whistle. I mean, that's important yeah. in the course of a game. If you don't have that factor, uh, then you're missing something. And Anthony Edwards can bring that to the table as well as, you know, volume three-point shooting that you have to respect and an enormous ability to finish at the rim, you know, even if he's avoiding the foul. And to continue the our extensive sports analogies back to the home run hitter <laughs> thing, like it, it actually, in all seriousness, what I think is is enticing about his home run ability is is that he does it at the, the highest leverage times often. He's not right. he's not the guy who you're down nine to one and he hits a two run Zach homer Levine. in right. the eighth. Not, you know, I call it Zach Levine because you know when Levine was here, yeah, you could always take this team from like eleven down to four down in the final three minutes. You know, right? I mean, Ant hit bombs in the playoffs, like right. right. And and what he more? Better what more in can the playoffs than he did the regular season. Uh, you know, excepting when pre mm -hmm. pre knee pre tendinopathy. Right. I think his January was pretty special. But the point being is he elevated his game from where it was in the spring into the postseason. He was a better player doing mm -hmm. what he does. And that's a good sign because that means you got a guy and who kind of didn't expect this from Ant, who said, oh, the playoffs sounds good, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and went for it, you know. Let's uh, let's mix in one more ad break and then let's talk about where the playoffs are here right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we are back with Britt Robson. I've been post for a final segment here. Uh, I know Britt, like myself, has been digging into these NBA playoffs and and I don't know about you, but for me in just like a much more enjoyable fan sort of way where I'm yeah. watching on my couch and just kind of taking it all in, not scribbling down notes or anything like that right. as I would for no a Wolves game. No tweeting, yeah, not live tweeting anything. Uh, yeah, it's fun to watch the game from an appreciation standpoint. I mean, I have my favorite teams, but I also find that when my favorite teams are getting beaten, I'm appreciating the way they're being beaten. You know, I mean, I begin Milwaukee, you know, I really wanted Boston to win this series uh, coming in. Milwaukee had its time. Middleton was out. I figured, you know, clean them up in five or six games and move on, you know, because I want to, you know, I, I just love the Celtic wings. I'm a big Jalen Brown guy. Uh, I love Marcus Smart, you know, and now, you know, I'm a Grant Williams guy, but uh, I just thought Milwaukee probably can't handle this. And lo and behold, they win the first two of the first three games. And, uh, and so I'm back to having a really grudging respect for uh, the Bucks. Um, for some reason, it's just hard to, graph that appreciation onto Budenholzer. I don't know why. He just he doesn't evince just coaching. the Bucks in general. I, I yeah. don't know. I I always like question myself of even during like the regular season when you know you're just popping in and out to league pass and you kind of have the choice of like, all right, right well I don't pick Milwaukee very often. I haven't right. over the past few years, which is just sort of bizarre because I think my favorite or maybe best comparison for what Milwaukee is is building aspirationally at least is is a San Antonio Spurs type arc hmm. and yeah. and and that was I mean really like that's the NBA team I fell in love with back uh-huh. then right right and and a chronically underrated methodology uh and, and it's that kind of what, similar like yeah, Tim yeah. and Giannis yeah. like Drew and and Middleton like the the Manu and Tony Parker of it, like there, there is something about the way it's structured, and the way you can see it sustaining. You believe in it sustaining a little bit more than you believe other teams will sustain. It's in terms right. of like longevity. I don't right. know. I've that's always 
Yeah, That's with Brooke Lopez as a rich man's Tiago splitter. <laughs> <laughs> Very rich. Brooke is. I know. Actually, what can, a we, can we pivot huh? off of that a, a little bit back to sure. a little Wolves with that? I mean, Brooke, particularly in the first couple of games of that series, man, they are hard to guard when they have Brooke back at the rim. Plus right. the like the wing defenders to be able to guard it. And, and we have become so distasteful of the idea of, of drop coverage and reliance on the wing right. defenders with right. the, the right. center on the back end. But I, I did tweet this during one of the games and I was like, man, if the Wolves could add that to their, to their package, uh, that, I mean, that would be huge. As we talk about diversification of coverages, right? Like drop coverage is not something that doesn't work in, in right. the NBA it, playoffs. Exactly. Exactly. It's the, it's the right personnel fact, the, and the vast execution. majority of teams have it as their primary defense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Milwaukee, Philly. Right. Um, who, who else were now the other conference? I mean, Phoenix. Right. That basically, well, it goes back to, do you got that gigantic center who you right. can go to with it? But also all those teams and, and Milwaukee is navigating this right now as they are moving a away from heavier Brooke Lopez minutes or moving away from going really big with right. like in the Chicago series, they went with all three of Giannis Portis and Lopez on the floor at the same time and different series, different opponents uh, present different ways of, of coverage and different personnel to play with. So the great like, thing about the playoffs, right? Exactly. So, so for the Wolves or for any team, I think it's good to have that in your bag that you can go to that drop coverage room protection but not make it have to be the only thing right. that, that you can do, which has been stress tested in Milwaukee over the past few years. Like, exactly. I mean, remember the Brooklyn series last year where Brooke Lopez got played off the floor right. because certain teams are going to be able to expose that. And Brudy Gobert, I mean, these, some of these guys were the best defenders in the league. Right. It can be exposed in ways by, by certain personnel, but it's nice to have it's really nice to have that in your bag and can stifle guys like Jason Tatum. Right, right. Well, and the other night where uh, I, I think it was in the second quarter or first quarter where, the, where Tice went up <laughs> and Brooke Lopez just flattened him. I mean, it is fun. And like Embiid flattened Mark, Marcus Morris. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are guys, there is still something really satisfying about the old fashioned, you know, smackdown where somebody's going up for a shot and the, the block is clean and the guy is on his back. You know, I mean, it's just. Uh, uh, we haven't it, had it, much of that in Minnesota. No, no <laughs> that's for sure. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's. But again, uh, I I went in Phoenix and Boston is my dream final just because I think it would be such a compelling matchup both ways. But, you know, and I don't think that Dallas offers Phoenix the challenge that Milwaukee is offering Boston. Uh, in part because, you know, they won the other night. Finney Smith got like eight frees. You know, that's yeah. not going to happen again, you know. Uh, and and Dallas is totally dependent on their three-point accuracy and the ability of that small lineup to sustain. And the refs, you know, Chris Paul had like 20 minutes because he fouled out. You know, I, I thought that game three was a good prototype for the way Dallas could play. I thought that game four was a, 
a, a case where everything went right for them and it was still a game with like five minutes left to go. So I'm thinking, you know, and watch me be proven wrong, but Phoenix and six is the way I look at that game. Whereas I do think the Celts and the Bucks could go seven. And I don't know who will win that series, especially if Middleton is able to come back. Uh, I think though that just that how deep the series goes. Oh yeah, is is important too for ultimately winning the champ. I was thinking about that yesterday um, when I thought it looked like Milwaukee, you know, was going to win, and then and then they didn't. Right. And now I was like, I think I'll still pick Milwaukee in this series, but I if they are going to do it, it's probably going to be in seven. And and you know that the longer you go in these series, and the more you're pushed and stressed and physically worn down that matters towards the like right. the end game and and that's why prior to the second round series i was similarly of like phoenix and milwaukee were the the most likely ultimate champions and the you know the the teams that were going to come out of come out of their conferences i i was going to give phoenix more of of an even more of an upper hand because their path i particularly in this round i thought would be easier i i didn't think we would be at 2-2 here four four games into it and I did think that Milwaukee and Boston would be a long and and tenuous uh-huh. sort of series so in a way they're both at 2-2 but I think that gives me a little bit more confidence in Milwaukee by subtraction of Phoenix does that make sense yeah it does and and we're not even now, I do think that the odds are inexorably moving toward, if it is Golden State and Phoenix, Golden State having a much better chance than you might otherwise mm-hmm. have given them credit for. And some of that is the easiness of the road. Now, they obviously have not been easy games, you know, but, but Golden State has won three of them against mm-hmm. Memphis. And so uh, you do have that situation. And I assume they're going to win game five. I even do, in, too. Even I do in Memphis, too. I would pick, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, Ja will come back, and I, I can envision like a 50-point jaw game in a five-point loss. You know, mm. um, I, I do think that that kind of dynamic, you will have a one-man team situation, and I don't think that usually works well. It's why Luca never got out of the first round, and everybody regards him as like a playoff stud, but mm. his record is like one and four in playoff series thus far or something, you know. So. Right. You know, you need a team to play in the playoffs. A good team will beat a great player with good role players. Um, so, I and think role players State, like, like let's give Memphis some some, some credit there too to to the yeah, role player yeah. part of it of like, oh yeah, my God, I mean that game was game four. Yeah, they last had it right until the end, right? I mean, it but was just with not very good players. I mean, right, right. wow, I it, it's yeah. you're you're watching and they're playing against the best five-man group Golden State can have out there. And you're like, okay, we got uh, Sire Williams, <laughs> Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks can't make anything, Tyus and Jones, and it's close. free throws, they might have won the game anyway, you know. And they would have, man. But did have that you ever look seen like, a guy go close up on a face of a guy at the follow This guy is in trouble. This guy is has no business being at the follow line when it matters right now. Because he is beating himself up. He does not care about anything other than, please, dear God, let this next free throw go in. Which is not the way you uh-uh. watch your guy at the free throw line to look, you know? Yeah, but he, he did play well. 
And, he, Anderson he, was really valuable in that his game. wingspan. His wingspan really came in handy. He he, and that is what he can do well. Is he's got that herky jerky mid range game where he gets off shots you don't expect him to get off. Mm-hmm. But then on defense, he gets deflections and blocks that you don't expect him to too. And it's got that, that really, Kata Bates Diop body. <laughs> <laughs> He does. Exactly. He does. He does. Well, Kata Bates Diop has that Kyle Anderson body, but I think the Kata Bates Diop body has a much better rhythm to it. That that no, the, the jump shot is is certainly is is certainly cleaner. But I yeah, I, I thought Memphis I think all Wolves fans hate Memphis right now. And I you know I, obviously oh, I, I get that. You know. I I I don't know. I have not liked Taylor Jenkins coaching in this no, at all. He's had, I, I thought he had a terrible series against the Wolves. And uh, I don't know. I mean, with like blips you, of really nice stuff, but kind of and, in, and, inconsistent. And in fairness, I mean, seeing the way his team is playing against Golden State, you could understand why he kind of rode a little bit with the momentum feel on some yeah. things against the Wolves. But we saw it. We said, this is not going to work. You need to switch off this. Um, and I do think letting Dylan Brooks and then Jackson Jr. attempt those shots, like they were the game-defining, deciding shots. Dylan Brooks's shot was absurdly difficult for a guy who cannot make those shots on a regular basis. Right. And Jackson was – you. The way he leaned forward and barely got off the ground on that last second three, you knew it was going to be blocked anyway, let alone that you have the best defender in the playoffs on it. So, I mean, that was just bad execution, and um, it's unfortunate. And it was a team that relies on Ja when it matters to bail them out, Mm -hmm. and they didn't have him. So, you know, I think they're they're roster adjustments away, like probably – fairly significant roster adjustments and they've I will give Jenkins credit for what they have gotten out of that group because I thought that during the Wolves series I thought that while I was watching them during the regular season I'm like my god this team keeps winning and if you catch them during like the second quarter or the late third quarter and they're like there's just a lot of guys who this is not a very talented group out here right now and And why is Clark not getting any minutes you know uh, well, you know, that's, it's we so love Clark. Weird. It's so weird. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, and obviously he knows his, his group better than we do. So I'm sure there's, there, there's some explanations, but there's a lot of, there's just been a, a lot Kevin of things. If Kevin Looney is on the court, Brandon Clark needs to be on the court. Because mm-hmm. I like, you know, try to use those Kevin Looney minutes on uh, Triple J or uh, right. uh, or Stephen Adams when Brandon Clark is also on the floor and see what happens to your rebounding, you know? Yeah. they Yeah. A li- maybe the way to put it is like a, got a little bit too far away from their identity at times because they thought they had to. Maybe they did. You know, maybe it was a lose-lose. You, there wasn't – you couldn't win playing right. that way. You couldn't win playing this way either. But um, Tyus, Tyus is making a case. Now, I still think – you know how they talk about in baseball, quad A players, just not, mm-hmm. you know, way too good for triple A, but not good enough for the, you know, a, a major league baseball. I would say when it comes to being a starting NBA point guard, Tyus is like 
too good to be a backup point guard, but not good enough to be a starting point guard. It's this weird nether yeah. zone for him. You know? But I think that nether zone includes a setup where he could be the starting point guard on a team, provided it had a ton of surrounding talent and provided some of that talent was a perimeter type he became the John Paxson. I think I, now I'm recalling, a, didn't we have a conversation with Jace Frederick about this? Where he, oh, he, Jace he always pa- talks about Tyus. <laughs> he posited the idea of uh, Tyus as like, yeah. you know, the, the Jordan wing, you know, the guy who basically hits the, mm. the shots next to yeah. a guy who you, takes a bunch of usage. And to be I, fair, you know, 20, 20 and five without uh, Ja this regular season and they gave Golden mm-hmm. State all they could handle for 47, 45 minutes uh, last night. So, you know, without job, this team does have a DNA that still is a gritty, grit and grind deal. And it's kind of too bad. On the other hand, if you're a Memphis person, you could say last year was a step. You know, we made it in through the play-in. We won one of four games, one of five games, uh, got swept the last four. This year we we won a first round and you know went up against a like a legacy team in the second round. You know they have reason to be happy with what they For have. Sure. But I agree with you that um, they have a lot of role players and role players don't tend to make leaps after they've already settled into their roles. True. So True. I don't know how high their ceiling is from here because I don't know if you could get more out of job that you've been getting. Hmm. I don't remember if we talked about this on on the pod or if it was after we were recording or whatever, but I, I was saying to you how before the orbital fracture for Embiid, how I I wanted to give the Sixers a real shot to come out of the East. Yeah. And uh, you know, then then the injury happens and then they go down. 2-0 without Embiid and it's you know you're kind of like damn like is they're not right. gonna get the chance to sort of this see is the it. heat the heat of the kind of team that'll step on your throat not let you up et cetera et cetera yeah I I I had dismissed the Sixers because and, and I figured I when Embiid came back he wasn't going to be Embiid you know and and that's what we don't totally know yet in this series is how I mean I think you would you would think that Embiid would continue health wise to progress um, as, as it goes on but. I mean, he, it's, you watch him play. It's kind of like when, when Carl with his wrist uh, last right. or right. the right. 19 or 2021 season where he just couldn't use his, his right hand as much or left, whatever hand it was, that was, that was hurt. And that's what Embiid is, is struggling with right now is the ability to use both of his hands because his thumb needs surgery. So I think like the eye part is going to get, you know, better over time or it, it seems, I'm right. assuming that, but there, there is going to be that hindrance of, just shooting the ball and handling the ball for it for Embiid that like it's enough to like hold me back enough from saying I think that Philly is going to win this series let alone be able to contend with Milwaukee or Boston but I I think I'm relatively a lot higher on on what Philly's upside is for the rest of this playoffs than 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 most people are because Embiid can be the best player in the playoffs. And it yes. seems like we've passed best player in the world crown to Giannis or back to Giannis. But healthy and bead, 
in a, in the playoffs, I think can be the best player in the game right now. And and sometimes a lot of it just ultimately comes down to this. And now I know your rebuttal is going to be everything's effed up around him, which that's I, I don't have a counter for that. Actually, the opposite. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I what I've been impressed by, especially the last two games, obviously, but. When Embiid doesn't try to do too much, when he doesn't have a 45 usage, mm-hmm. I like this team a lot better. But that means that everybody else has to be in their roles. And what I like is that this has become a maxi series where he's bigger role than he had in the regular season. And Harden has a lesser role than he had when he first joined the team. And, and Harris, think, too. Harris is up, too. Exactly. Harris and Maxi have usurped some of this dual superstar idea from the Sixers. And it really helps because James Harden is not the guy. He's not vintage Houston OKC James Mm. Harden. You know, he just isn't. He doesn't have the gears to do that anymore or probably the stamina. Um, And the fact that he's kind of recognizing that and choosing his spots to be like, you know, the guy, this is my time for my splashes um, is good. The fact that he doesn't overdo it and Embiid, at least at the current time, is not overdoing it. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a really nice mix right now. I'll tell you, Tyus Maxey would have been my pick for most improved player of the year. You know, fuck this John Moran stuff. I mean, the guy was the number two pick overall. What did you expect? You know? And Maxey was 21. Exactly. And mm-hmm. Maxey is the I think he is more valuable to the Sixers, and I, this is obviously driven by bias. I'm not a Harden guy, but I think he's more important to the Sixers than Harden is. And he's having a fabulous series. Um, and I think what needs to be seen now is Miami could afford to punt games three and four. They cannot afford to punt five. So I think it's going to be interesting. I Even if Miami wins game five, if it is a dogfight and they have to win it doing everything in their power, if it's like the vintage Toronto, Miami, Boston, Miami series of past right. you know, of the bubble or something, then I'm going to think this is going to be fun to watch Philly go back to Philly and then have the whole thing happen in game seven. If we get there and you have Harris, Maxey, Abedding, Embiid, and Harden, you know, then, you know, then the only problem you have is Eric Spolster against Doc Rivers, you know, and, and there's no way to overcome problem. that probably, you know, but I, I do like Miami still to win the series, but I am, I'm glad to see that we're getting some right. really fun games out of that series and that Embiid is giving, you know, all the jerks in Philadelphia a chance to like thump their chest and say, see, he's better than that bum Jokic, you know? <laughs> um, I, I think this will resonate with you, but if, if Philly does ultimately fizzle out here and let's, let's say they lose in six or whatever, right? Um, it will be the latest indictment of the kind of putting, not, it's not even building a super team. It's putting your team together like a fantasy team Yep, with, disregarding continuity uh which is something i i mean as we talked about a lot like i was like oh brooklyn's gonna win it last brooklyn 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 i didn't you know i didn't uh, appreciate the the continuity 
the, the lack of continuity of the group and with the Lakers, you know, just kind of putting together, uh, again, a, a fantasy team and, and watching that fizzle. And part of the reason if Philly loses will be because, you know, Embiid is hurt and that, that held them back. But you can just kind of feel with that group the the lack of continuity. And comparatively, you look around, I mean, Phoenix, man, is there a more a team with more continuity than they have? Right. Milwaukee, oh we're... We're, we're comparing to, the, or I'm comparing, you know, to to the Spurs, which are nothing, right. but if not a team that has continuity, the I would say the Celtics, like the changes they've made were... And the Warriors when they're healthy. Exactly, you know, and so it's, I think for for people who are more, you know, purists of basketball and, and the, the building of something over the course of six months or maybe even a couple of years, I think we're seeing a resurgence of, of the value in that. and. And the maybe the oversight of some of these GMs like Maury and Marks and Palinka, who are, you know, are, are, are searching for the quick fix. And, and maybe, maybe that's or really, owners, really hard to owners. do. Because yes, I think Marks was not somebody who really wanted to do what he's been doing. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yes. Yes. The, the organizations. Right. Willingly taking the let's just. You know the 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 Rams like f them picks sort of strategy. You know, like right, right. right. Uh, and I think for for people like us who you know cover the wolves, follow the wolves, like the wolves as a team that's never going to really be able to do that. And and I think we both also just kind of gravitate to other teams around the league that are that way as well. Memphis and and teams like that. It's it's kind of cool to see that this is about building something which was such a staple of like 90s basketball right that we right, love that right. it was like it was the Knicks you know and the Knicks made right. their moves on the margins the heat obviously the the Bulls along with that but it's it's cool to keep groups together for a while and and run into that same wall a couple times and eventually eventually break through it and I don't know I I I do I do like that some of these teams are failing by not taking the the path of continuity and uh, as you know i am hugely in that camp i mean i i i disdain and i have great schadenfreude for you know when the lakers go down don't even make the playoffs and everybody's blaming each other and the agents are blaming management for not getting john wall by trading westbrook <laughs> and a pick that's when you know you know you're you're in the you're so much in the depths, you know, your head is so far up your rear end right now that you can't see anything anymore. Um, that is great fun to me. You know, it's like the revenge. But I think on a on a broader, less revenge-oriented scale, it's what type of basketball do you like to watch? Do you like to watch the beauty of fundamental teamwork being executed in a cerebral at the same time exploiting your athleticism, doing the things that you need to do and figuring it out and having this, just this beauty of the game before you, or do you just love the spectacle of these incredible athletes doing things that no one else can do? Now, it doesn't mean you can't appreciate both. Anybody in their right mind does appreciate both, but what do you want more as your identity? And or what do you think is ultimately going to be the most successful identity? And there's plenty of evidence both ways, you know, teams that have been built 
manufactured to win a ring or bust have won rings. You yeah. know, I mean, ultimately, you know, the, the Miami uh, Wade LeBron Bosch thing uh, was the modern, you know, catalyst for that now. But you saw it other times too. Um, and then you have like the, the quintessential Pistons team that, you know, Ben Wallace and everything. That's the, you know, the grinded out teamwork thing that eventually morphed into like the Spurs model or whatever you want to call right. it. And so there are those differences. Uh, I am a guy who loves to see great defense, loves to see great team play. It's why I love Phoenix and the Celtics right now. Um, but, you know, by the same token, you do. I mean, it is fun to watch Joel Embiid, you know, do what he does. Or that, That's what I was going to say. It's like we kind of, by teams building in Brooklyn, the Lakers and the Sixers building in this way. Right. whatever you want to call it. Um, we've lost prime years of three of the best players of this generation. <laughs> and, and LeBron, I mean, right. it's something I see like LeBron tweeting or something during the playoffs. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, LeBron's I'm not in the playoffs. I'm never going back to this again. I need to be in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, I know. And, and then and KD, who I think, you know, he right. didn't play enough games this so season. So what if Sacramento but... drafts your kid, LeBron? What happens then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do. I just respect the hell out of LeBron, KD and, yeah, yeah, and Bede too, right. for, for the quality of players they are. And so there's some frustration of wanting the best players to, you know, similar to like wanting Jokic to have had a better shot this year, but he, that he right. didn't have due to injuries. Like it seems like the Lakers, Nets and Sixers injured themselves. Without and, a doubt. And, and that, I mean, some of it is, and this is not a perfect analogy by any means, but um, it's like if you play with your queen and your castles in chess, you know, and they're the dominant thing, you know, um, if if your queen and your castles get taken at some point in the game, your options become very, very limited. Whereas right. if you play a game where all the pieces have their roles and you think of them ahead of time or whatever, um, and again, it's not a perfect analogy. I don't play chess enough to, I'm sure a veteran chess player will just be howling at this, but, um, I do think that the point being, if you rely on guys and they are your guys and they are not available or they are blunted in their effectiveness, um, it's, it, it, the formula to beat you is the formula of beating the Nets is easier than the formula of beating the Suns or beating the Celtics or even beating the Bucks for that matter, as good as Giannis is having a Middleton and a Holiday when they're healthy, you know, and a Lopez for the defense. But it is something where um, it comes back to sneaker companies and agents and yeah. If you don't have uh, the ability to have baseball's ability to be the highest paid player in the game, uh, and you merely have to take the Supermax for as long as it lasts, well, then you need to add rings and you need to add scoring titles and you need to add brands. You need to add the sneaker contract or you know, be yeah. in millions of ads. The motivation, I mean, it, it's, it's funny that the motivation of taking away top end salaries 
so that everybody has parity in the league has also made it so that guys who are really good want to band together so that they can elevate themselves beyond mere dollars. Uh, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, as it turns out. And, and surround themselves with only pawns who are... Right. I mean, the amount you, of... You, you have that's no all you got. Right. The right. amount of guys who are playing in the playoffs right now in rotations right. that are on minimum contracts or close to is crazy. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty it, amazing. It, it, it really is. Well, Britt, I had the like intention of, of having this be a shorter podcast. Um, <laughs> fail. Uh, we're, we're, we're up here at, at an hour and a half, but I'm, I'm just, I'm looking forward to as we kind of move a little bit away from reflect or move away from reflection on the Wolves season. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about the off season and those things uh, later on, but I'm, I'm excited to, to dig into these playoffs, just watching them myself a, a little bit more and, and talking to talking to you about them uh, as we go, as we go forward here. So, We'll uh, we'll keep making that happen. I appreciate you making, you know, cutting out an hour and a half of hey, your uh, morning. Yeah, I never, you know, time is makes no difference. You know, that's <laughs> all relative. It's uh, all. Read read uh, read Britt's piece over there on uh, at Min Post. It's titled "The Four People Most Responsible for Making the 2021-22 Timberwolves Season Such an Enjoyable Ride." It was an enjoyable read. Uh, it was like I've totally turned my brain out of like Wolves deep dive now, like. De- detox, I guess, um, right, right. and, and it, it brought me back in uh, a little bit, but on a on a, on a healthy level. So check that out uh, over at Mimpost. Obviously, follow Britt on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore NBA, and I will talk to you all next week. Till then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops. Yeah, green and hot, so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down. Yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around you.